You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. You know what, guys? I always have a special guest. But today, it is a very, you know what? I'll say a delightful guest, a sunny guest. I'm looking at a smiling face. Welcome to the show, Carl Bonner. You know, my mom always said I do have a smiling, sunny face for podcasts. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that you appreciate that. Well, it's something I've noticed about you. You're a smiley guy. You're a, you're a full of life kind of fella. Um, which I appreciate. I appreciate that. Existence is exhausting enough, so why spend it frowning, you know? Oh, I agree. You know, before we started the show, I was I was at least 15 minutes late, which, again, I apologize for. And I mentioned to you that it's been one of those days, you know, sort of a buzzsaw kind of a day. But if I reflect on it in real time with you, my friend Carl, you know, you come to this realization that there's nothing to complain about. Nothing. I, I don't have a terminal disease that I know of. Knock on table. It could be a lot worse. I could be uh, pouring concrete on a concrete si- on a construction site. I-, I worked as a structural inspector for years. I've worked in construction. I was a bartender. I was a waiter. I've had a lot of stupid jobs over the years, and um, it could be a lot worse. I- I'm living the dream. I'm very happy. Yeah, I feel like when you have those other experiences and those other jobs, you forget how spoiled you are to be doing what you love. But then when you do look back and compare it and you realize that your bad days now are sometimes better than your best days then, it's pretty sobering. Yeah, and all of this is just perspective. I mean, what a gift that we get to do this for a living. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a great that was a great episode. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thanks. Uh, all right. See ya. <laughs> no, speaking of doing this for a living, I know what you do. But for those listening that may not be too familiar with you and your work, um, can you give kind of the the three-minute elevator pitch as to what you are and what you believe? Go! I am a mix engineer, uh, primarily in the pop and pop-adjacent styles. Uh, I live in beautiful Amish country of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I've been mostly remote since before COVID and then went fully remote and have not had any desire to ever look back. Um, I started my career as a session session drummer and touring drummer and kind of got into production as a fun little side hobby and then eventually started doing remixes for friends bands while I was in the van on those long Midwest drive days. And that just started to infect me with excitement when I got to experiment and really get into the creative side of production. Uh, coming with, from a background of being a performer and coming from a, a background of, you know, my, my degree in college was in orchestral percussion oh, wow. performance. So like as not not a very, you know, electronic uh, technical 
uh, backgrounds. So kind of getting into production while I was on those long drive days brought me into it from a place of really loving it, but having no fucking clue what I was doing. And I just trialed and errored a lot over the next couple of years until people started taking notice, started asking me to do remixes for them, asking me to produce them, asking me to mix them. And I just kind of realized this is scratching a lot of itches for me and more itches than drumming even was, even though that was the focus of my life really, you know, for a long time. And I just love, love, love meeting new people, putting teams together, mixing songs, doing additional production, helping the problem solve. Just, I don't know. I love it. I love all of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That That's great. Well, congrats on finding the path. Um, what was the name of the band that you toured in? We were called Cheerleader. That's right. Cheerleader. Yeah. So you guys toured a lot. Yeah, we did. Uh, we had a good run. Um, I was in the band for, I think, three or three or four years. Did the U.S. a couple times, uh, England. Played some big, crazy, fun shows. I like played Firefly. We played a sold-out show at the Fillmore out in San Francisco. We played a show. Uh, one of my, my most memorable shows was playing at The Great Escape in Brighton over in England. And it was us, Years and Years, and Charlie XCX. And it was the most unreal thing. And it was before any uh, before either of those groups like artists really got anywhere close to where they are now like i mean charlie xcx just did, just did snl Crazy. a couple of weeks ago so it was it was wild it was wild and i just appreciated all those all those moments when i could and i loved it and it was worth it was worth the long boring drive days I'm, i feel like i'm shitting on long boring drive days but at the same time it, it was it was worth it when i was in my mid to late 20s and now at 37 i'm just kind of like uh, i don't know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, tour- touring, it's an interesting thing. Like, I I didn't do a lot of touring, I, but I did enough to get a taste for it, and I definitely traveled a lot when I was younger. And as much as I love traveling, like, you know, backpacking through Europe or, or uh, seeing America, I like doing that, like, with my wife and, like, hotels and, you know, vacation-style traveling. Touring is not that. And I think a lot of people that don't come from the world that you and I grew up in, they just don't fully appreciate. To them, they think, okay, well, I look at this band, they're on the road all the time. They must they must love that because they get to see Sydney and they get to see Japan and, and Europe. And it's like, kinda. Yeah, you're technically, your feet are there. You You have a moment of, yeah, okay, this is what Tokyo might be like. But if it's not an off day, it's a job. You're you're there to you load in early in the morning. There's sound check, and if you're a big band, you you probably have some media to take care of. You're working, and then you play the show. Then you get in the bus and you drive to the next town. It's uh, there's not a lot of time to actually see the surroundings. Yeah, and I think what most people that aren't in the industry don't realize is that there's one hour a night that is the best hour of your life. And then 23 hours that are just generally exhausting and miserable trying to make sure that one hour goes well. And most people just see that one hour. If the opportunity presented itself for me to go on the road again, it would absolutely need to be with some people that I would want to spend those 23 other hours with. You know, And I think a lot of people, when they think about touring, when like younger musicians, when they think about getting into a life of touring, whether they're in a band or they want to be a, a hired gun, they 
just focus on like what that one hour is going to be like and what that what the stage time is going to be like how big the band's going to be how big the venues are going to be but really the focus should be on how much am i going to enjoy being in the van with these people because you're going to have to smell you know weird yeah. ve- vegan kombucha farts for like 3 weeks back to back in july so you better like these people i've always said that being in a band i mean in many ways it's like uh starting a company with your friends but even more specifically it's starting a company with your friends where you're you're continuously in in like a sustained fight with one another (laughs) you're you're always having to make a decision together as a group assuming that's the type of band you're in which most people are it's it's a democracy in most bands and there's always something to decide. How are we going to do this? How are we going to write that? Who are we recording with? When are we recording? Are we going to say yes to that tour? Yada, yada, yada. And while you're having all these decisions to make, it's also very vulnerable. Most of being in a band is about vulnerability and, and being able to show your vulnerability and also be able to, to accept people's vulnerability. You know, there's the creative vulnerability. Writing music is vulnerable. You have to be willing to, quote, go there with people. And and then, so then that's that part of it. But then you have to travel with people, which is kind of a weird inside window to how people are, you know, at their at their rawest, is the raw state. You know, if you haven't... Yeah, for better, for better or for, for better worse. For better or for worse, right. For Lack sure. of sleep, you know, all the airports and the, the vans and the sleeping on grounds. It's not all pretty, so you're absolutely right. The people in the band have to be a good hang, and I will. I will also say that that is there's a parallel there with being a producer. I think, and and even just you know, exclusively a mix engineer, you have to be a good hang, and that doesn't have to mean like physically a good hang. That for sure that, especially as a producer, but yeah, as a mixer, you need to be able to be. Um, a decent person to communicate with (laughs) and you have to understand that this is someone's vision this is their art and you ought to take that seriously and back to what you said about being vulnerable i think that also applies to producers as well and, and mix engineers because whether you're an artist or you're on the production side that vulnerability is necessary for you to grow because if you can't find your own weak spots and own them, accept them, learn from them, and and move forward from them. You're just going to be, if you're a producer, you're just going to keep on producing the same shitty local bands that right. you've been producing for the past 10 years. If you're an artist, you're just going to keep on playing the same shitty clubs you've been playing for the past 10 years. Like You're not going to be able to get anywhere. And I think people look at getting cooler gear as being the next, the next thing to help them get up or spending money on ads is going to be the next thing that really helps them to level up. But I think really it's just that, that self-awareness and the the mm-hmm. willingness to be vulnerable and trying to figure out, well, what, what hasn't been working? What's actually been, where have I been my own enemy and how can I, how can I, how can I rid myself of that? Yeah. I think what you're talking about too, is like how to be of service to people. It's a hard thing to do. I think a lot of people in production and mixing, Look, you know, I, I'm a manager of you types of people, and I see a lot of you, and I hear the same types of conversations. And there's a common mistake I hear here, and also I make the same mistake too. And that is, we think in terms of the business part. Like, okay, is this a good rate for this project? Is this a good rate per the amount of time that's being asked of my time? All those things matter. That's that's a huge part of what I do. That's why I exist. But 
I think it's more helpful to remember that you need to be able to be serving the the people that are coming to you. So if it, let's say you didn't track a band, so another engineer tracked the band, they send you these songs to be mixed. It, you need to be there to remember that like this is their baby. They're handing it over to you and it's now on you to be of service to them. And if you continue to do that, I think naturally all the good things come along with that. Rates, bigger and better acts, and, and your network will expand from there. And the thing is, it's not hard. And that's the the thing that I've seen with a lot of producers and engineers. And I'm really curious, you know, from a management perspective, like what, what you've seen as well with, you know, not necessarily like your roster, but I mean, like just you talking to producers all the time and talking to artists all the time. I just feel like that's such a, like putting the artist's vision as the actual priority, see, it's such a low bar to get over. And so many people have a struggle with that. Why do you think that is? I think it's because we as creatives have ideas, right? And I think we as as humans think our ideas are the best. I almost think of a spectrum. And on one side, you have a producer, let's say, that has a sound. They have their sound. They do what they do. And if you come to them, they are going to put their sound on your song and it is going to sound like them. And almost doesn't matter who the artist is, the output's going to be the same. And then the far other side of the spectrum, you have people that are just going to be like, okay, sure, whatever you want. I don't care. You know, just pressing the buttons and really just taking a hundred percent direction from the artist. And I feel like if you can find a way to be in the middle and find this, it's maybe not even a spectrum. It's more of like a bit of a triangle, I guess. If you As you get closer to the yeah. center of that, you can find the balance of having your opinions, having your instincts, having your, having your experience, having your perspectives, and allowing that to not influence and change what the artist is looking for, but using that as a way to help enhance what they're looking for and, and help to bring clarity to that vision and actually helping them to achieve it. That's really hard to do. And the people that I've met that do the best job and have the most, not, I don't want to say just like financial success in as a producer or a mix engineer, but at least quality of life in their job success right, are the ones that have really found that good balance of having their own voice but using it for the greater good as opposed to it being a competition between my ideas versus the artist's ideas. Yeah. What do you think about producers who are a little bit more bullheaded about this topic? Because you hear a lot of stories, you know, someone like, I don't know, like Steve Albini. He, it's such a specific sound, right? And you know, well, I'm going to him because of the helmet record and the Pixies and and Nirvana in utero, and like you know why you're going to him. So is it really his fault if you show up to the studio and you're like, well, I don't really want it to sound like a giant, huge kick drum in a big open room. You're like, well, why did you come to me then? That's what I do. That's why I changed the metaphor from a yeah. spectrum to like a triangle, I guess, because I don't think that any of those choices or any of those approaches are objectively wrong because it's art. There is no objectively right or wrong. I know what feels right to me and what I think is fulfilling for me as a creative. And I think I just know that the people that want Steve Albini sound are going to go to Steve Albini or they're going to at least try to, if they can't afford him, they'll go somewhere. They'll go somewhere that like ha they have that direction. And I don't think those people would ever come to me. Yeah. But I mean, I, I also wonder... Because by the way, this is not a knock on Steve Albini. Oh, absolutely. 100% agreed. Yeah. No, it's actually a compliment to him that he has such a vision. And I think, especially as you get older, he's just unapologetic about like, hey, man, look, it took this long 
for me to figure out who I am. And it, it took me even longer to figure out who I am as an artist. I guess what I was going to say is I, I wonder, like, do you think there's a level of artist goes to work with producer, honestly, nothing to do with their production skills or their brand? They, they just wanted to work with the guy because he is X guy and he's got a big following. And we know this is going to be good for our career if we say we worked with Steve Albini. And is that wrong? I won't speak for everybody, but in my career, I've talked to quite a few artists that have gone that route. Not not with Steve specifically, but like in general, they, they hired somebody because of right. who they worked with or they hired or this. And the number of the number of times that I've been told horror stories about that and are just like disappointment, like complete and utter disappointment stories far outnumbers the happy experience stories. Morally, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because I actually understand it. Yeah, I don't either. I think, I think what's important though, as the artist, the band, they need to remember who they're going to work with. And if, if you're going to just work with the guy because he's got a bunch of followers on Instagram and he's worked with a ton of artists and he's got all the connections and you think this is going to help your band. Okay, that's fine. I don't think there's actually anything wrong with that. You just have to know that when you go there, you need to be a bit of an open book and you have to be able to listen to this producer. Don't go in there with one idea, one vision that's just not going to work with dude or or lady. What? Why would you even do that? There's You're wasting your time and money. Yeah, and the people that I've I've... I've heard like the horror stories about, I think it was actually more of a, a user error in the sense that the songs might not have been good enough in the first place, or the songs were just like, they wanted it to be something that, Oh, that's, that happens all the time. And I think that that's, that's, that's really more the thing. So I feel that they, it was a time when an artist thought I have this song, it's missing something, but if I hire this guy, it'll become, yeah, it'll be magic. Yeah, and that's I think that's more the issue. Rather, like, there's no issue in hiring somebody because you like their work. It's hiring somebody because you think that they're the magic bullet for your song or for your career. I think that's where the issue is, and that's a maybe a, a naive expectation of how the world works. Yeah, and it's a common trend, not just in this conversation we're having. Artist books time with producer. This is common in all facets of our industry and many industries, for that matter. You know, a band thinks, all right, well, we're kind of dragging our feet here in the small town we live in. We don't have a big following. Let's get a manager. That'll do it. Or let's get a booking agent. That ought to do it. Let's get a label. That ought to do it. Let's get the team together. Then we'll get to, you know, freaking whatever level they're looking at. And the honest truth that a lot of bands don't want to hear is that your songs have to fucking rule. They have to be really good and they have to stand out. That's it. You know how many metalcore bands I've heard? How many forgetful goddamn names there are? And pop punk bands. It's like, why would you think that you, one of many, 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 many bands just like you, are going to be the one to go play stadiums? That's insane. I think it comes back to that vulnerability mm, as right. well. I think when the, the reason that they, these artists, want to put those big teams together, they want to get a manager way too soon they want to get a booking agent way too soon they have these big expectations i think it's because they know something's missing but rather than looking internally whether to themselves literally or to the other members of the band that are just not up to snuff instead of trying to fix themselves or fix fix those things that they can actually control they're like oh well we'll just get 
We just got to get a manager. We just got we got to hire this PR team. We got to hire this guy to do social media marketing for it. We got to get our TikTok game up. You know, it's like it's there is a lot of other distractions that are eventually going to be very necessary if they do want to achieve that level that they're going for. But there's quite a few steps in between where they are now and where those people can actually even be effective at their job. Like a PR team couldn't help you unless you already have an interesting story to tell. They're a megaphone. And if you don't have anything to say, holding the megaphone there. Awfully quiet. I mean, if you have nothing nothing interesting to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be quiet and you're just going to waste your money. You know, I've seen so many artists waste money on that. And the same thing with the social media ads. They are essential things at a certain point and the self-awareness needed to realize whether or not you're at that point is more rare than I wish it were. Dude, I, I couldn't agree more. One of our producers, Alan Day, who plays in a, a band called Four Year Strong, he's asked this question a lot because he plays in a, a more prominent, more successful band. You know, they're not the biggest band on the planet, but they play, you know, 1,700, 2,000 cap venues around the world whenever they want. They're, they're doing great. They make a good living, huge, strong fan base. And when bands ask him, because he works as a producer and mixer. And so these bands are often asking him, hey, while, while we got your time and we're in the studio with you, like, do you have any tips for us? Like, what what do we do? And he's, he shared it with me how it's kind of heartbreaking for him because he has to just be honest with them. The, the honest truth is you have to just keep going. You have to just keep doing and you have to be unapologetically authentic to yourself. That is the key. If you're trying to sound like four years strong, oh, you already fucked up. You already fucked up. It's okay to be influenced by. It's okay to be inspired by. But you have to be you. These are why bands like System of a Down stood out. What? Who on the face of the earth ever thought that wackadoo polka metal band would ever have been as big as they were? And the reason they were so successful is because they didn't give a fuck what you thought. You know, they came out with bant, 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 sugar, just the weirdest shit possible. And they're playing arenas around the planet. And, you know, I don't know, like, what the secret sauce is to that. I just know that they didn't give a shit. And they made sure that you knew that. And that was really attractive. Yeah. And I think for, you know, any producers listening or engineers listening, what I found out too, and it sucks, is that it's the same kind of thing. You just got to keep... Got to keep going. You got to keep going. Keep going and be self-aware. Keep going and check in with yourself. Keep going, but don't be delusional. Yeah. Constantly. Constantly. Delusions of grandeur. That is a bad place to be, man. Oh, yeah. And it's it's tough because it is really... No. It, it is not easy to keep going a lot of days. It's hard for me, man. It's a grind. You know, I, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else in this topic. Anytime I... I'll tell you, man. Um, I just turned 39 in July. It took me a long time to even get to a place where like, I could quit my day job and do stateside full-time. It took me a long time to do any of this. And I'm still at a, at a very mid-level guy. You know, like, and I'm, I say that openly. That's what this podcast is about. I'm documenting the journey, not pretending to be someone I'm not, because I think that's more helpful for people. And I think if I, if I really reflect back on it, Carl, anytime that I've really wanted to get to that next place or I wanted to partner with so-and-so or, or do that next thing, I, I have to remember to turn inward and just do the work. And that's not to say that you shouldn't network and reach out to people and get to know folks do, like doing what we're doing. We're just, you and I are just talking. And if something comes from that professionally, great, whatever. But that's not why we're talking. 
we're talking because you're a cool dude and I wanted you on the show. But that's my point is like, just do, just be authentic, just be sincere and turn inward and do the work. And every time I've just like, okay, well, I'm just going to crank out these emails. I'm going to serve the clients I have today. If I just do that and I focus real hard, hey, what do you know? Bunk, a huge client comes my way. Or what do you know? Bunk, a big opportunity comes my way. It's pretty much always happened in that order. Yeah. The authenticity, whether you're an artist or a producer or engineer, I think that the authenticity and the vulnerability, what I've found, it's endearing. People are going to root for you. That's ultimately it. And if you're an artist, fans are going to appreciate that, especially in the social media era. And I think even more so post COVID as well. And then as a, as a producer and a, an engineer, I think just a big thing that I very, very strong, I'm very, very strongly opinionated about is that, you know, social media as an example, like as a, as a mix engineer, like I really want to make sure that it is always just a window into how my brain works you know, so, which is a window into the things that excite me and a window into the things that make me, you know, I always say like the things that make me flail my arms in excitement when I'm talking about it. And, you know, people are going to see my content and they're either going to be like, this guy, this guy is an idiot. Like I, I could care less about what he's talking about. Show me more pictures of, you know, LA two A's or they're going to just be like, oh, this guy is a doofus, but he seems to really just be a very passionate doofus and I'm going to support, support that guy. I think you're doing great with that stuff. And I, I think it's, I think it's what it'll make you win in the end to, to keep just kind of having a conversation. You, it's like you're having conversation with yourself publicly. <laughs> it's clear that you're like, this is what I wanted to say anyway. I might as well say it to you guys. Yeah. And some people are going to, yeah, it's going to resonate with some people and it's not going to reson- resonate with others. That's everything. I, I don't resonate with everyone, and that's okay. I, I always talk about the music gods. I, I The music gods are a real thing. They speak to us. The business gods are a real thing, and you, you need to listen to them. And it's okay that not everyone likes my style of doing business. I'm kind of fucking scatterbrained. I get up very late. I stay up late. I am atypical. And you know David Roska, our, our newest member to the team mm-hmm. he poor kid he's trying to like schedule my calls and shit and i'm not even up until 11 a.m it's like you know it's a fucking nightmare i mean i'm up before that but i i don't want to talk to you on before then and like that's just that's who i am and i don't give a shit that's what makes me feel the best it's what makes me the most productive and it took me a long time to be okay with that kind of that kind of workflow and like just being sincere not just that but everything how I do work. It's like, again, it's a balance of self-critique, being willing to get better and to never think you've arrived. Don't think you're the shit, but also it's okay to be me. It's okay to like do it the way I do it because that's what's gotten me this far so far. Yeah. There's 7 billion people in the world. So at least some of them are going to appreciate you for who you are. That's right. And the same thing when they say, you know, there's I've heard uh, conflicting numbers, but somewhere between 28,000 and 60,000 songs a day come out on Spotify, right? I always talk to my clients, like my my coaching clients, and I always say, if there's on the, on the smaller side, 30,000 songs a day coming out, there's no reason why That's one right. of them can't be yours, right? And there's, if you try to do everything in your life to please everybody, it's not going to work. And I think 
that's that's kind of an old cliche. Everybody knows that. But when you really just double down on who you are and what excites you and what makes you you and what your perspectives are, no, you're not going to please everybody. And if you're okay with that, you will really, really please. Oh, that's right. A handful of people, and those are going to be, those are going to be the 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 fans that buy every piece of merch that you ever put out. Those are going to be the clients that come to you for every song they they make yeah. over the next ten years, because you you found your like distilled, hyper concentrated, you know, bull, bullseye of a of totally. a of a client, and you're the bullseye for them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The the more you're authentic to yourself and you're unapologetic about like your viewpoint in the world, the more success you're going to have. And it may be to a narrower audience, maybe. Not always, but maybe. And if it is to a narrow audience, at least that audience is going to be your fucking audience. They're going to be ride or die for you. And that audience, a lot of times, they know each other. Oh, yeah. So as, as a mix engineer, if I get into, if I can get into a circle... It's pretty likely that assuming that I crush it and I'm a good, you know, a good communicator and I don't drop any balls, all of the people in that circle are going to find out about me. And because they're all going to be friends with people that make the same kind of music and play shows with the same kind of bands, that's they're very, very likely to be in, you know, in my wheelhouse too. And there have been a couple different, couple different instances. Like there's a band from San Diego that. I did an EP for, and then I found another band that they're friends with that heard the stuff, comments on their on their release post. I reached out, started a conversation. I'm currently doing my fourth song with that band. And then one of their friend bands that was doing shows with them heard one of their singles, reached out to me, and now I'm, I'm doing that. So I've kind of infiltrated this like indie rock scene in Southern California. I haven't been in SoCal since like 2015. I've never met any of these people in person, and all of a sudden... I've kind of just become the guy for that circle just because I was a good hang and because I was really targeted with who who I think is going to resonate with me. If somebody is going to resonate with me, it's pretty likely that their friends are going to also because they're going to resonate with each other. And I apologize for the, there's a lot of, a lot of hand motions and I was, I was, nobody can see it because this is audio only, but I was saying earlier about talking about the things that make me passionate, get me to flail my arms around. Well, my arm, my arms are flailing. I'm doing a lot of pointing. He, Carl was currently, yeah, he was actively flailing his hands during that one. <laughs> No, it's great. I'm curious what you think. Like, why do you like mixing? Why Why do you think you've narrowed in? You know, because there's producing, there's engineering, which are two different things. There's mixing and there's mastering. And I guess we'll throw songwriting in there as well. It's been my experience that if I ask people what their favorite thing is to do out of all those categories, most people say mixing. I have a few theories why. But I'm curious what you think. I think I might be more curious why you think. Well, actually, I'll start with the more like cynical reasons because I know you guys. <laughs> okay. No. You think I'm? You think I'm cynical? No, I'm saying my take is more cynical. Okay. I think part of why everyone chooses mixing, and this is not a bad thing. I think it's human nature, is that you get to do it alone. You get to do this on your own, not in your own time, but. In your space, you don't have four smelly guys in the room with you for a month on end. You know, producing a record, like tracking, engineering, producing a record, especially a rock band, you're in the trenches for a month. And it's a lot. A lot of long days, a lot of personalities. And um, it's a lot of energy for usually the same-ish about rate, you know? So 
I think that's part of why people like mixing and mastering is they get to, you know, have a cup of coffee and open their laptop or do it from their, their desktop. And usually you're even in your own space, in your own home, and then your day is done. I do enjoy that part. I don't think it's the only reason for me. It's definitely a a reason, I think, why I started to gravitate toward it, even though it, which is which is weird because I also love the conversation. So my favorite my favorite part about mixing, actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna say the opposite. Okay. Because this is, I mean, I really fo- started switching to mixing as a focus in the age of Zoom, right? So, if I'm producing, let's say that I'm just producing albums, right? I might be with the same four people all day, every day for a couple weeks, but I get to work with so many more people as a mix engineer. Yeah, volume. So I actually, so I actually get to meet more people, have more conversations. Um, so they might not be physically in the room with me, but I do get to meet and collaborate with and create with even more people than I would be able to if I were producing because of the smaller amount of in, of time involvement per song. Okay, so that's the people part. That's the feelings part. Why do you like mixing technically? Like, what about it do you like the art of it? There's two kind of answers to that. One is that I love problem solving. I know there's a lot of problem solving in the production stage, but usually when the songs get to me, the problems that are left are problems that the producer and the band maybe just couldn't figure out. Maybe it's just they were banging their head against the wall trying to get this part to work and they just aren't sure and they just wanted somebody else's opinion. Or it's the problem solving of really helping to make sure that I'm clearing things out of the way that might be unnecessary that during the period of the production process, some Mm -hmm. objectivity was maybe lost and they just ended up having too many kitchen sinks thrown at the song. On the other hand, I think it's actually kind of going back to my college experience, getting a degree in orchestral percussion. When you're playing percussion in an orchestra and you're playing, you know, bass drum, you sit and you you sit yeah. for 43 measures, you hit one note, you 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 rest for another 65 measures, you hit two notes, you switch over to triangle. Yeah, I did in high school, by the way. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. Oh, awesome. You're just waiting for so long, reading sheet music, going, I hope I don't fuck this one part up. It's my only part. Yes. I appreciate patience with myself, even though I work in like high energy pop music. So it seems kind of counterintuitive, but I've always had a real appreciation for how things fit together and what is meant to be the focus at any given moment. And I think what I love about mixing is I get to craft that and I get to really shape where I want the listener to focus. And I I make a an analogy where it's kind of like a how a Broadway lighting designer designs lights for right for a, a show. And if there's if there's an intimate moment where it's, you know, the two lovers are on a balcony and maybe the, the lights are going out and it's just a little spotlight, that's gonna have a very different effect than that same exact scene, but the house right. lights are on. Right. And if there's a big Mardi Gras scene and, you know, the whole cast is running through the through the aisles and everything's crazy, you want the house lights on because you want to be able to see the craziness going around you. And if it was all dark except for a spotlight on stage, it would have a totally wrong environment. And I feel like in mixing, I get to shape that and I get to help to tell the story in a way that focuses the listener. And I think that's such a tremendous challenge that I haven't found anything else that challenges me 
to that same degree. And I think that's what I what I really love about it. Well, I think that's important for people listening to to remember that like, you know, if you want to go into being a producer, there's a lot there for you. It's not one thing. You know, yeah. and you can find even within this career path, you can find your highlight. Remind me, do you do you master as well? I do, yes. Um I don't always master my own stuff. I do like to outsource, but like I'm actually I'm teaching a college course on mastering. Okay. But you take mastering gigs as well. I, t- I take mastering gigs. I do enjoy doing it. I guess in a sentence or two, in your opinion, Carl, what is the difference between mixing and mastering? For for let's assume the the layman person's listening. In a sentence or two, okay. Sure. Let's let's say the the average folk that's not in this day in day out the way you and I are. Let's say you want to bake a cake, okay? Let's say that you even you have your own bakery, stateside stateside pastries, okay. I guess I don't know if a cake is a pastry, but whatever. Stateside cakes. You make two identical cakes. Man, now I just want a cake. Now you're just making me want cake. I'm sorry. I'm a you got time. sugar guy. Man. Just Uber Eats one. So you have two identical cakes that are artisan flowers, uh, milled by, you know, hand milled by elves in the woods or whatever. And, you know, this fancy design is delicious. It's crazy. And it's, it's gorgeous, right? Now, you took the time to figure out the recipe and to uh, figure out the proportion of the ingredients and how long you want them to be in the oven and how you want to design it. That's like the production and, and most of like the mixing stage is figuring out those proportions and getting it to all work and create the shape and the flavor that you want. Yeah, the main ingredients. The main ingredients. Now, if you take one of those cakes and you have this nice designed box that has your... It has the logo on it. It has the UPC code on it. It's it's sealed. Has the expiration date. Everything. All of the all of the necessary information is there, and it just looks beautiful. And when you see it on a shelf next to other cakes, you're gonna say, "Damn, that is a tasty looking cake." As opposed to taking that second cake, just slapping some Saran wrap on it and setting it on the shelf. Gotcha. They are the exact same cake. They are going to taste exactly the same. However, when compared to other cakes on the shelf in like a professional environment, you are going to notice a difference. And you might not even give that second cake a shot because it's just wrapped in saran wrap. And you're going to say, oh, well, this one that it just looks a lot more professional, right? That's the one I'm going to spend my money on. And when you when you are mastering to make the audio analogy you know, side of it, the audio side of the analogy, that's just making sure that your song is not brighter than everything else it's not darker than everything else it's not too narrow not too wide it's just kind of like the it's the quality control to just make sure that it's going to translate so that it sounds really good in airpods on an iphone in a boom box in the car rather than it just still being a great song and the mix might be great and it sounds great but if it when you see it next to Every other song on Spotify, it's gonna pop. It's gonna, yeah. You want to make sure that you're you're competitive and that you're meeting some of the expectations that the entire rest of you know music, <laughs> the music industry is kind of currently has. So it stands out. Well, okay. So this happened the other day. A really cool band worked with one of our guys. I'll, I'll be vague, so we're not putting anyone out there publicly. Said producer also mixed this record. They mix it. And they're a little bit more of a younger kind of punk rocky band. And like, they really loved the mix, like loved it. And then the topic of mastering came up and we're like, okay, so, you know, we can help facilitate that. 
blah, blah. And they asked like, well, I fucking love the way this mix sounds. Do we even need mastering? What would be your answer to that? I would tell them the cake story. <laughs> you know, I would say for what it's worth, we encourage them to go with mastering and for similar reasons. Like you want to be consistent on all platforms, yada, yada, yada. But yeah, I was just curious what you thought. It's just to make sure that it sounds good everywhere else because you can control the listening environment. So it might sound really good to you in your car when you listen to it by itself. But if it comes up in a playlist with other songs, it's going to stand out and not in a good way. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that was a lot of healthy music talk. Um, this is a mostly music podcast, so that's great. Let's uh, let's let's start winding this here down. And before we let you go, what are some of the other things you're into? You know, we're we're all well, hopefully well-rounded human beings, and we're not singular people. This is just our job. Uh, what what else? What else are you into? It's not really a guilty pleasure because I'm not ashamed of it. But I love watching speed running videos on youtube okay for those that don't know speed running is uh for video games it's trying to beat a game as fast as possible okay i i have to admit i didn't really know what that was i was like does this guy really like to watch people run really fast i wasn't sure no 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 like it's like it'll be like oh let's beating uh super mario 64 in record time and it's crazy some of some of the games because there's really like absolutely intense competition okay so like i i'm not the biggest video game guy i i would say about once a year i get into a playing a video game and i get really into it and then that's it and that's for like a week or two like the last one was red dead redemption 2 I, you know i stayed up till two or three in the morning just went full-on cowboy for a couple weeks you know, finish the game. Oh my God, what an incredible experience that game is. But I, so I'm not like super tapped in. So like, I remember a lot of the old games growing up, Mario one, two, three. So you're telling me, cause I remember like what it takes to beat the early uh, Nintendo Mario brothers franchise. And it took me a long goddamn time. How long, how long does it take these psychos to do? Um, I'm going to look it up right now. Super Mario brothers world record uh, for the, for the like original uh, the first one four minutes and 54 seconds is the current no how is that even possible i don't get it so they have to know all the shortcuts i know it's it's i'm gonna send you a video there's like i mean it's like it's to the point of a lot of games like they actually manipulate the code of the game by doing certain actions and tricking the game into things like finding glitches in it and utilize it's crazy I, it's it's fast. That's why I love it. It's, it's fascinating. I can't do any of it. Is it cheat codes? No, no. It's this is like all within like the game. There's no not game genie and that stuff. Yeah. But I think what I appreciate about it is the fact that for a long time, or and I think a lot of the listeners are gonna feel the same way. For the longest time, like I can't listen to music casually. I cannot not rip it apart, or like I can't I can't turn off the academic listening brain no matter how hard i try so if i want to relax and i want to just unwind i can't listen to music because it grabs my attention oh, too yeah. much and i can't avoid the temptation of being a dork about it it's actually one of my, my critiques about youtube in general like watching vlogs and stuff because they have to use royalty free music in their their edits and it, it's one of the things that bothers me the most like there, you know there's some great youtubers out there that i really enjoy watching but they're using this ding dong royalty free song and I can't just passively casually listen to it. Anyway, I, I interrupted you. Keep going. Yeah. No, 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 you're good. But that's I think that's why I love watching these players try, you know, new techniques and trying these new things. 
because I I know that I'm so far removed mm-hmm. from being able to do that. I played a lot of video games when I was a kid. Like I had, you know, Nintendo 64. I still have my N64, but can appreciate it in the same way that people would watch sports. Like, you know, you could be a huge football fan, but you may not have actually played football in 15 years and you would die if you had to play more than three plays in a row. But I don't know. I, I think that's kind of, for me, replaced casual music listening for me because I, even if I try to analyze what they're doing academically, the stuff that they're doing is so way above my pay grade that I can just sit there and watch right. in awe in the way that so many normal people can watch a musician or a singer and just watch in awe and like appreciate how hard it is what they're doing, but being able to just appreciate it without appreciating it and trying to figure out, well, how did they get there? Who did they learn from? What are what kind of plugins are they using? You know, there's all of the stuff that, you know, that that pulls the curtain away from from it is the curtain's back there's a curtain between myself and these players and how they're actually like pulling this shit off and that's a wonderful thing and i can feel innocent and you know just awestruck watching them even though admittedly they're not you know saving the world and curing yeah you know poverty and 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 starvation but I, I enjoy it. I totally understand that. Dude, I go down the weirdest rabbit holes, especially with YouTube. God, I like I get into the, the most random shit. Like I was watching video after video about Hasidic or uh, is it Hasidic? Yeah, Orthodox Hasidic Jews. Like the most like conservative Orthodox Judaism and like how uh, deep of a world that really is and how far that goes back. And it's not just in Israel, it's in New York City and, you know, Los Angeles. And it was fascinating. It's not for me. Like, I'm not that religious of a guy. And like, it's not my kind of lifestyle, but it was fascinating, man, just to like passively, kind of like you're saying, like, I have nothing to do with that world. So I can just kind of sit there and, and just absorb it. I love YouTube for that reason. I love it and I hate it for the same reasons. Oh, yeah. It's also the end of the world. I mean, it's it's going to ruin us for sure. <laughs> Wait, so so you're you're thinking that YouTube's going to ruin it before Facebook does? I just mean the internet, I guess. You know, it's all it's all fucked, man. I mean, like. Wait, so are you like in your seventies now? You're just like equating all the different websites as one big thing. It's all one thing, Carl. It's the internet. The Googles. Dude, you want to hear a really funny old man story? Yes, please. I can't let my assistant Roska hear this because he's going to never let me live this down because he already thinks I'm the oldest person on the planet. So I'm 39. This must have been late. No, this was like seventh grade. So way too long into the internet being around. But to my credit, it wasn't like, it was still like AOL network, I guess. AOL.com. Like my family... Didn't even have the internet yet at that point. I don't think. Yeah. Nah, we didn't use it if I did. Anyway, so... <laughs> uh, oh, I'm going to tell this online or on, on air. My good friend, Chris Crummett, who is also a music producer, mix engineer, you know, fucking legendary rock record producer. Well, he and I grew up together. And we like from like seventh grade on and i was at his house once with a bunch of buddies like you know slumber party seventh grade vibe and i walked up to his dad's computer and i looked at the desktop it was just the desktop and i pointed at it and i asked is that the internet (laughs) chris 
He loves reminding me of this story. It's like, you dumb fuck. You thought that was the internet? Oh, my God. How funny is that, man? That's amazing. I feel like, I guess now that would be any time somebody says, is that is that TikTok? Yeah. I guess even me, like, I kind of refer to any, like, any short, short form vertical video as a TikTok. It's a TikTok. Yes. It's a TikTok. It's a TikTok. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that I, I sometimes feel like I'm the oldest man in the world because all of my clients are in their like early 20s and I'm 37. So it's good to know that I have at least I got two years on you, bro. You know, for the time being, until you kick the bucket, I'm I'm I've got somebody else older than me, so I'm fine. Yeah, in many ways, I'm the oldest man in the world. Well, dude, this has been super fun. I got one last question for you as far as the music industry. I like to ask everyone on the show this. What is your, you know, kind of the state of the union? What's your assessment on the music industry? Are you hopeful? Are you pessimistic? What? How do you feel about it? Overall, I'm hopeful. Good. Me too. I'm skeptical. I'm always skeptical, but I feel like you can be hopeful and take things with a grain of salt. Yeah. And I think that there are so many great things that are happening, like with royalty rates being increased and just with the ability, with my, you know, myself as an example, the ability to connect with other collaborators from all around the world and not being tethered to your local area and not not needing to be in a major music hub to be able to actually make a career of it. I feel like there's this immense democratization of production and like and songwriting that I think is amazing. And some people are going to be scared by that. And others, I think, are going to look at it as a huge opportunity and I'd like to look at it like a huge opportunity. And I think that for technology, for uh, for all of its evils, I think it has enabled us to connect in a way that we, as a, as a species, never could have done before. Can you imagine being a, a mix engineer in the 70s? Like, very exciting in many ways, but the, the gatekeepers and the way to get to any level where you're making a living is such a... It was such a grind back then. Yeah. I, I feel so spoiled. I think that's... I think that's why I'm hopeful because I feel spoiled. And I think like if, if I can figure it out, then that's then that's a really good sign for the rest of us. Yeah. That's how I feel about myself. I, I'm the dumbest person walking the earth. I mean if I can figure any of this out, you listening certainly can. I I assure you you can. Give yourself some credit. I just mean like I didn't do well in school ever. I hated school. I hated high school. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I didn't go to college. I mean, did some college, like every suburban person. I took some local community college. I tried so many things. I failed at so many things. And I was a firefighter and EMT for three years. I worked at an Intel campus here in Oregon for eight years. Worked as a structural inspector, bartender, waited tables, worked at a grocery store. I've done it all, man. And I, I've tried it all. And that's why, and that's why you're finding success. I think so. Because you've tried it all. Yeah. You've failed a lot. You've had a you've had a lot of experiences failing and you've had a lot of opportunities and you took a lot of the opportunities to learn from them. That's just the type of person I am. I had to I had to try. I had to try a bunch of bunch of stuff and get to know myself. And now I know. Now I know a lot about myself. I'm not made for the for the real world. <laughs> Carl, I can't do it. I I will find a way out of it. <laughs> I, I will physically get ill if you tell me I have to be somewhere at seven in the morning for the rest of my life. Like I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. And and I used to feel really bad about it. I used to beat myself up. Like, why can't I be more like my dad? Why can't I be more like my neighbor? 
They, they seemingly can just get up and put their boots on and go to work. It's like, what is fucking wrong with me? And then you get to a point when you realize they could never do what I do. And what the fuck is wrong with them? That's right. You know, I'm not saying I'm not saying what the fuck is wrong with your dad specifically. I'm just saying like, you know what I mean? Like no, the, I know what the, you're saying. The grander, again, I'm, I'm flailing my arms again, but like the grander them, you know, that's, <laughs> I think that's, that's a great thing. I think for me living in a very small city is that I get to actually, mm. like all of my friends here are like normal humans and I'm not just in a weird little, you know, yeah. ins, you know, insulated group of people in a big city that we all do the same thing. We all have the same interests and all of the same goals. And I, I feel like it's a nice reminder that there are so many different ways that you can find happiness. And my way is definitely different than yeah. most other people that I know. Yeah. You don't have to live in LA now. You don't have to live in New York city. I mean, I think it helps in some ways to, have access to those cities and network in real life. I think you can't make up for that like physical, hey, we're two human beings sharing a physical space together, but you don't have to live there. You can still have a normal life. You can have a kid and get married and have a house and be a normal human being. And it's no longer like, is it helpful? I'm sure it would be. I'm sure I would probably probably be another you know, maybe. step or two higher, maybe, or I would have been, or you would have burned yourself out. I was going to say the exact same thing. Maybe I would have just been so burnt out and exhausted from, yeah. you know, that particular grind that I, I never would have actually had whatever successes I have now. Right. 100%. Well, that makes me happy that you're hopeful. I, I will say all the people I've asked that question to, not one person has said, I feel very pessimistic. I'm not very hopeful about this. I think uh, we're about to fall off a cliff here. People have had their concerns and their criticisms, but by and large, everyone has said this this time has more opportunity than ever, and that comes with a lot of responsibility. That's kind of what I've distilled from everyone answering the same question over and over. A lot of people tend to get back to that part. Yes, there's le less gatekeepers. Yes, there's more opportunity, but with more opportunity comes more responsibility, and you really need to turn inward and, and have a real conversation with yourself continuously, not once, every day though. Check in, what am I doing? Am I being authentic? Am I being sincere? Am I being authentic? Am I being sincere? And if you can say yes to those questions, you're on the right path. Just keep going, just keep doing. Dude, this was amazing. What a great, what a great podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so, 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 so much. Of course, that's a lot of so's and I'll take them. I need them. You know what? You deserve even more than that, but I'm going to spare your listeners from having to sit through another 45 <laughs> minutes of me just saying so, so, so over so. again. <laughs> Get your, I want to, I want to make sure that whoever's mixing this gets their money's worth for their DSer. Yeah. With me just saying so, so a little, a little inside baseball joke there for all the, all the listeners. Oh yeah. Yeah. A little industry talk for you. Well, dude, thank you so much. I love you. I'm rooting for you. And let's keep talking. I'm sure uh, we'll do some cool shit together. And, and, you know, I'm just happy to have you around. Super stoked. That is the most wonderful thing. And uh, no, I, I lie. It's the second most wonderful thing. Second to you, my friend. Oh, look at that. What a guy. I got to get the last word in. I have to get the last word in and compliment you more. Well, I'll give you another chance for that. Where can people find you? The best place would be Instagram at Carl Bonner. I would spell it out, but you're looking at your phone and you can just see how it's spelled. And or carlbonner.com. I'll spell it for him. C-A-R-L and then last name B-A-H-N-E-R. And it's all one at Carl Bonner on Instagram. Go give him a follow. Go check him out if you're mixing and mastering work. 
Hit him up. Send me a DM. Yeah, send me a DM. Let's have a conversation. I like meeting people. Dude, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.